Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 15. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. If you remember, we're in the section of this letter where uh, Paul is describing how we live now that we're a new creation in Christ. Uh, now that a person has been saved, how do they live in their new life? He says, look carefully then on how you walk. Not as wise, not as unwise, but wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts and minds to your word now. That your spirit would work in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So are we, should I go no mic or do you think the, what do you guys think? All right, I think I'll project today. I'm going to shut it off. Well, I wanted to begin by sharing a uh, quote from C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Screwtape Letters. And if you're familiar with this book, this is uh, a book where Screwtape, which is like the more mature uh, demon, is training his nephew on how to deceive uh, people from following Christ and, and to hinder uh, their walk with him. And he's to the point where he said, you won't always have to uh, deceive people by pointing them to their pleasures. Here's what he said. And, and he's talking about habits. He says that this condition becomes more fully established. You will be gradually free from the tiresome business of providing pleasure as temptation. You will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which, which he really loves, to keep him from his prayers or his work, or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys, but with people, and with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about, on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods of time. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. 
all the healthy and outgoing activities which we wanted to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that at last, he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I see that I spent most of my life doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. The Christians uh, describe the enemy as one with, without whom nothing is strong. And nothing is very strong. Strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in the dreary flickering of the mind. Over it knows not what and why, or, or knows not what and knows not why, in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. In drumming his fingers and kicking of his heels, in whistling tunes he does not even like, or in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that have not even that not even lust or ambition give them relish, but which, once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake them off. He says that no longer do you need to get people distracted from God by the things they love, but you can get people wasting their time in things that have no eternal value. And then he says this. Here's the end of the quote. You will say that these are very small sins. So... Wormwood is going to say to screw tape, well, this doesn't seem very devious. We're just distracting. So you will say these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, young demons, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Your affectionate uncle, sweetheart. He says the best deception is not to deceive people into doing spectacular sins, but to get people to waste their time. Hours and hours and hours doing nothing for the sake of the kingdom of God or for their own soul. When the, when the salvation of a person's soul is the goal of life, a person trusting in Christ being saved, when that 
merely becomes the goal of your life, the fact that you got your ticket to heaven, it is only then you will think lightly of the things you do until the point you die. How important is it? Are we merely supposed to just live until we die, figure out how to fill up the time, figure out how to pass the days? <coughs> but a glorifying God is the point of your life. If you've been commanded and commissioned by Christ to make disciples of all nations, let me say, let me say that again. If you've been commanded and commissioned by Christ to make disciples of all nations, if you've been given spiritual life to glorify God with that life, to build one another up in love, to be the light of the world as we live and strive to live holy lives, fighting the spiritual battle against the schemes of the devil, that's the point of our life. Then this text makes sense. Because this text calls us to live carefully. To live carefully. Alright? You look at your notes. We're only going to get through section one today. And we're going to give you a little taste of, of uh, section two so that you all can't wait to get back here next Sunday and get the richness of the, the second half of this test. But look at what he says in verse 15. Look carefully then on how you walk. So Paul uses this word, walk, all throughout his letter to describe how a Christian behaves. Look carefully then on how you behave. He's already said in this letter, we shouldn't walk like the Gentiles. Those who don't know God, our behavior shouldn't be like them. He's already told us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have three enemies. We have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. So the world is Satan's system. He's the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's an enemy. This world lies to us. It deceives us. And it's not just randomly doing so, but Satan and his demons, like C.S. Lewis says, scheme. Have schemes to deceive us, to get us to waste our time to live unwise lives. Our flesh is fallen. We're all born sinful. So the world is our enemy, the flesh is our enemy, and the devil 
is our enemy. We've already seen that, and we've been called to walk in such a way worthy of the calling. Worthy of the calling of uh, the Christian life. We've been called to walk in love. We're to be light. We are light. We're to expose evil. We've already seen all these things. So he says, once again, look carefully then on how you walk. Not as unwise, but wise. So we're going to get a comparison in this text. The unwise way to live in the wise way to live. You and I are not living in a neutral universe. We are not in a neutral place just filling up time uh, by merely what we choose uh, to do. But we all have a certain allotted amount of time to do whatever you want. That's what the world says. It's just neutral. You make up your own truth. You do your own thing. But that's not true. And so the first thing we see is that we're not to waste our time, especially in enemy territory. Look at what he said in verse 16. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So why is it wise to make the best use of time? And then the reason he gives for it is because the days are evil. Let's think through this. We're called to not be a fool, but to be wise, to make the best use of your time. We're to produce all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We're to have dominion over what God has given us. We're to cultivate the garden so it flourishes. We're to be fruitful and multiply. Everywhere God's people go, things should be getting better. Their property should be getting better. Their jobs should be being blessed. <coughs> we are created to have dominion, to reflect the glory of God. We're not to waste our time. Wasting time is always selfish. All right, you've got to get this. Wasting time is always selfish. God didn't save us to live for ourselves. In fact, it's a, the exact opposite. <laughs> That's the demonic lie. Look out for number one, right? Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.14, here's how Paul said it. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we concluded this, that one has died for all, that for all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So, yes, Christ died for your sins, bore the wrath of God for your sins, but he also died to save you from your own selfishness. For selfishness is the opposite of love, and the whole law is summed up by what? 
love God and love neighbor. And so Christ died not merely to just die for your sins, but also to save you in the here and now from your own selfishness and your own time-wasting selfishness. Wasting time is foolish because we don't understand the value of it, both in the present implications and the eternal implications of it. How you live today, what you do today, how you decide to waste your time today affects your spiritual life today. And ultimately, there's eternal consequences for what we do and we do not do. And this is what Paul is pointing to. What is the reality? What is the consequences of wasting time and living thoughtless, silly lives during evil days. What is it? Well, here's the reality. Darkness is covering the earth. Waging war against your Lord and fellow man. That's what's actually happened. If you haven't checked yet, the world is dark. Depression is high. Hopelessness is all around us. That's reality. And believers are light. That's what we just saw a few verses before this. We are light, but for some reason, the lights are hiding in caves. Like TikTok or Facebook or playing video games or watching TV. These are deceptions. They're meant to feel make us feel like we're being relational. Like we know these people. Like we're involved in their important things. And yet what are we doing? We're entertaining ourselves. And Satan is not against you being entertained and myself being entertained. You might say, well, I like entertainment. Well, yeah, he wants you happy. As long as you're not in the war, as long as though you're light, you're hiding off in a cave, wasting your time, not in a real battle, not seeing reality, well then, okay. Have at it. Let me ask a question. When you spend hours scrolling or watching TV, now be honest, Christian. When you're done, do you not feel the darkness? Are you more joyous? Or you find yourself irritable and angry? Do you 
you really think you live in a neutral universe? You really think what happened there is you just made an entertainment choice? There's a spiritual battle waiting for your time. And Paul says, walk carefully, live carefully, make the best use of your time, be wise, don't be fools. For example, imagine you have a future vacation on a calendar, and you probably do, and there's nothing wrong in and of itself with a vacation. But what if the vacation could become idolatry? What if that fills up your thoughts and your minds? So that though the vacation is 20 days away, you're going to waste 15 hours thinking about that vacation, pulling you away from anyone or anything productive. It doesn't look very devious, but Satan is at work. 1 Peter 5 8 says this Be sober minded. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It does not say that he prowls around. Seeking to test that off course a little bit for so that your day isn't just quite as good. Satan is a killer. You're in a real war. You realize that? And he doesn't play nice. In John 13:2, we read a haunting passage. It's during the Lord's Supper. During the Supper, John 13, 2 says, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. How does the devil, how does the devil put something into a person's heart? We don't know all the house. But we can know he does do it. And here's my question. If he can put that in the heart of Judas, what makes you think you can just coast? The devil can't put something in my heart. The devil can't deceive me. What makes you think so? What Bible verse will you put? In fact, to the believers, Jesus prayed that the Lord would keep them from evil. Evidently, Jesus was more concerned about Satan's attack on us than we so often are. How about Acts 5.3? Ananias and Sapphira. You know the situation. They sold some land. They said, we give all of it to the church. They didn't have to give it to the church. They said it. But they thought, well, let's say we sold the land for 
little bit less and keep some money for ourselves. Here's what we read. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Do you believe that that's possible? That Satan could fill your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit. Everything Satan does is deceptive, and the goal is always death. Revelation 12.9 says, and the, speaking of Satan, that the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, it was called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He's the great deceiver. John 8, 44 says, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So how do you view your life? You wake up in the morning and feel like you're hunted in a spiritual battle? Do you feel like your commission in this battle has God called you to do anything? Are you just living another day? You know, how do we go? I'm just, I'm just living. I'm just burning up time. Life is good. It doesn't seem so bad. And what we're going to see, I'll just point you to it. We're not going to spend much time because we're going to be here in a few weeks. Ephesians 6. Where's he going in this letter? Going to the armor of God. He says, finally, in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why now why would we need to do that? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. <clears throat> Are you too scientific to believe in demons that seem together? The devil and his minions? That they have plans? That they study your life? How to concoct how to get you and I to waste our time in our minds? Hold us. He wants you to have the armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers. You get that part? Against cosmic powers. Are you sufficient for this to just chill? This in your flesh, kind of figure it out as it goes. The battle is against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's how you stand in the evil day. You take up the full armor of God. And then it says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Not like 80% effort. Having done all. And then we get to see what the battle looks like. Stand there for having fastened on the belt of truth. If Satan's biggest weapon is the lie, is he's a deceiver, then we need to strap on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate protects your heart. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Meaning when you have the armor of God on, you're not wasting your time, but you're ready to go. You've been given the gospel of peace. This is what we're to live for. We're to be light. And then he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have the belt of truth on. You have righteousness guarding your heart, the righteousness of Christ. You have the Word of God in your hand, the sword of the Spirit, and... You're to take the shield of faith and believe in the power that is given to you in the truth. All this fighting, all this spiritual battle, it's not running around yelling at demons, figuring out the right exorcism words to say. That whole section of scripture is all about by the power of the Spirit, believing the Word of God and fighting the lies with the truth. Living by faith. It's not hocus pocus. Look at it. It's all about the truth. And you were saved by the truth, weren't you? It's the gospel that brings about new life. And you will live by the truth. That's why when Peter opens his letter, he says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. I'm going to let my mind just go off into la-la. I don't even know if I like what I'm listening to. I don't know if I even like what I'm doing. But I'm doing it because it's become a habit. Lewis saw that as a spiritual defect. And you're not the only one that feels guilty. I can be sitting there on my phone and I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know why I grabbed it. I just have 15 seconds. And rather than think about reality, I can grab my phone 
it just starts wasting time. That's when they go, whoa, where did that 20 minutes go? That wasn't a mistake. That was losing ground in a world where there's a spiritual battle going on. That's what that was. And so he says, above all else, prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind for action. Why should you make the best use of your time? Because I am you. Your opportunity to be used of Christ in time before the end, where there's eternal consequences, is now. And you've been saved to follow Christ, to be blind, to fight against the powers of darkness. Not that the people are your enemies. They are deceived and they need the truth. They need Christians to quit being selfish and to pray for them, and to love them, and to take the time to show them what this world really is. Psalm 39.4 says, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you made my days a few handbreadths, and my life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere a mere breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man meets up wealth and does not know who will that. Oh, that you would value the time you have. That you would make the best use of the time you have. I'm 44 years old. Jesus would have died 11 years ago, according to my age. He did all that he did in 33 years. Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, he Googled what's the average lifespan of an American Male. He should probably lower it since he's an NFL football player. He took the average, calculated how many weeks that is. He got a container and put that many rocks in the container. And every week, on Sunday, he grabbed the rock and he throws it out. What's he doing? He's numbering his days. Time is short. Be efficient. Now, he might be a little tight bag, but he schedules his days in 15-minute increments. From the time he wakes up to the end of the, his day, and he gets mocked. But according to this text, as someone who confesses Christ, he's a good example. What do we do with our life? The president of the seminary and I go to Al Moeller. You can actually pray for him. He's having uh, uh, blood clots in his lungs right now. He's in the hospital, but 
He has a skull on his desk. One, life short. Time is short. There was a documentary called The Hornet's Nest that I watched. It's a film that follows two journalists, a father and son, that were embedded with a group of United States Army soldiers, the 101st Airborne Division, uh, that was sent on a mission in Afghanistan, a three-day mission. Well, they ended up in a nine-day battle. The father and son are videotaping this. They're on this wooded hillside. They find themselves with the enemy all around them. They drive a firefight. Lost many fellow soldiers in the fight. How do you think they value time in those nine days? Did they just figure they would wake up in the morning and let's see what the day offers? No, they saw reality. They could hear reality as the bullets are zinging in on them. It wasn't until nine days later, finally, they got some air support and they were able to get help. But at the beginning of that documentary, here's the quote that is said. Your measure is not found, this is what they would say in the platoon, your measure is not found by how much time you have on this earth. It is what you do with your time. How do you get 18-year-old soldiers to be courageous, to put their life on the line? Well, they have to believe the one who wins isn't the one who lives to be a hunter. It's when they live their life they live for what really matters. The time is short. <coughs> Second, look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. If we're not supposed to waste our time in evil days, then the wise thing to do would be to understand what is God's point for my life. Right? 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul says that we're to correct our opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So those who are lost are doing the will of the devil, and they're captured by the devil. They're captured by the devil to do his will, but Timothy is supposed to watch how he corrects his opponents. God may perhaps grant them repentance, lead to the knowledge of truth. And if they understand the truth, then the schemes of the devil, they're pulled out of. 
what's the will of the Lord? Moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, singles, children. What's the will of the Lord for your life? Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's 100% effort, right? The word called to. And all these words I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. Parents, I know you know this. You're watching them grow. Your time is limited. Your time is limited. When your children will be in your house, and every second you waste is one second less, you have to love them. If you're feeling guilty, I'm feeling guilty. Ella's 17 years old, and I've wasted a lot of time in my life. What's it amount to? What's it add up to? My daughter, Ella, all four of my daughters, they're eternal souls. And God gave them a dad and a mom to everywhere they go. God is put in front of them as the reality of their life. And that we're to love him with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and with all of our might. Grandparents, how much time do you have? What are you going to do with the time God has given you? Retirement is not retirement the way we do retirement in the United States. Nothing wrong with changing your line of work. But the way in the United States the American dream does retirement, is it not merely just trying to make heaven on earth? Someone who buys into that really doesn't understand the eternal perspective that God has. This must be all did. So let me work hard now and buy myself a little heaven at the end of life. You want to know what that heaven is for? Me. So that's Satan really is the prince of the power there. This is normal. Don't give away, if you've got two years left, don't give away those two years. Walk carefully. Make the best use of your time for the glory of God. Psalm 145 6 says, one generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and all your wonder, wondrous works I'll meditate. They shall speak of the mind of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. 
we get to pass on the wonderful deeds of Christ from one generation to another. It's a privilege we have. We're given everything to do it. But there is a battle. Why is it the magazine article that you don't even care about is easy, easier to read in your Bible? Well, it's because the devil doesn't care to read the magazine article. Don't you know that? The way he is defeated with, is with truth. Of course, there's going to be more battle around your scripture reading than there will be for anything else. And that's to bring to conclusion here. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Why does he use this as an example? I think this represents all sorts of But this would be the epitome of using your time in evil days to make yourself vulnerable to the devil and his demons. You want to waste your life Put chemicals in your body that softens your senses so that you just lay out the welcome mat for the devil. This is why Satan is demon. Just put the alcohol in, your senses will go down. Things you normally wouldn't do, now you begin to do. And who benefits from your drunkenness? Nobody. It doesn't serve anybody. It wastes time and it'll ruin your life. He says, for that is debauchery. What does that mean? That Greek word means behavior that shows lack of concern or thought for the consequences of action. Senseless deeds, reckless deeds. That's what it is. The, the idea of, come on, let's have a few. Come on, let's, I've had a stressful week. Let's let our hair down a little bit. Let's just let go. Let's loosen up. Let's be carefree. And then I get stamped on that. By the way, God gave you that. God gave you that as a gift. You feel the stress? Take, take a little bit of that in. A little bit of carefree. Well, read Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may increase. <clears throat> Boy, it sure seems like you're having good fellowship. Boy, she sure seems like there's true joy at that party. But even in laughter, the heart may ache. And then listen to what he says. The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. That sounds like careful living, right? One, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but the fool is reckless and careless. So when you hear that statement, 
slow your hair down. The Bible says that's the fool. That's the fool that isn't careful how he lives his life. When a person gives themselves over to chemicals which, which open themselves up, that's not just a bad health choice. That's not just a bad family choice. That's inviting Satan and his demons to rule in your life. Drunkenness is the epitome of living a carefree, selfish life. God isn't glorified. Man isn't fun. Man isn't helpful. One more thing, just on this account. Drunkenness is not a disease. Our culture calls it a disease, says you can't help it, says your family passed it on to you. Not saying there's no influence from family, but the Bible does not call it alcoholism. The Bible calls it drunkenness. Drunkenness is a choice. A habit, yes. A habit that can destroy your life, yes. But did you know that you choose your habits? Putting truth in your mind can be a habit. But drunkenness, drugs, pornography addiction, all those are not diseases. Those are choices. You're not a victim to something outside of yourself. You'll either live your life carefully and give yourself to the truthfulness of God's word, or we can be lulled to sleep and waste our time in all sorts of habits. Whether it's drunkenness, it could be anything, right? It could be addiction to a phone. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drinking sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. Now I admit, a party with a lot of alcohol at it, in one sense, is an exciting place to be. There is an overflow of something. And God is not against desire. And he is not against fellowship, and he is not against even partying, partying together. We're told when one sinner repents, all heaven rejoices. So in our text, it says, don't get drunk out of wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another 
Why does he say that? Because we're to love one another. We're to address one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We're to be overflowing people with joy and hope. That's what we're going to look at next week. Thankful hearts. 